0: To understand the difference in them is to think of a disease. Now, that's not something you like to do with God necessarily, but with some diseases are communicable, you can catch and get and receive, and some diseases aren't communicable. They don't go back and forth from one person to another. And so when I think of God's attributes, that helps me to separate the two kind of attributes that he has. Some of his attributes are non-communicable. They're only his because he is God. You will never get them or catch them, even though you are made in his image. But he has some of his attributes that are communicable, that he shares with us. So when we talk about the attributes of God, his non-communicable attributes... Let's list a couple of those. Mike. Yes. Which means what? Yes. Yeah. God can do any powerful thing he wants as long as he doesn't sin. Right, we can't sin, so he's not going to do all powerful things. He's not going to uh, kill people unjustly. Right? He he has the power to do it, but he's not going to do that. Right? So, but he can, he can do all things, but we can't. Right? Okay. Oh, another one. Oh boy, Mike. Uh huh that's right God won't sin right absolutely what is another incommunicable attribute of God my Douglas everywhere At all times, there is no place you can go without God. Is it Psalm 39? Even though I go to the highest parts, you're there, and even though I go to the lowest depths, you're there, right? We can never, ever escape the presence of God. I think that's what I said. Thank you. Yes? Which means? Yeah, God knows everything, right? Absolutely. And that's one of the scary things about God, because he not only has all the knowledge in the world, right? Uh, I like to think I'm good at trivia of some some sorts, but God has not only all the knowledge of the world, but he has all the knowledge that you know and knows you. (laughs) Every thought, you know. All right. Okay, those are what some of what we call... In, in communicable attributes of God. So, as we talk about and try to define for people who God is, He is different than we are, and the ways that He is different than us is especially with His incommunicable attributes. There are many more. We're not going to go over those. That's not the purpose. Now, when we talk about God's communicable attributes, what are they? What are some of them, at least? We talked about communicable means that he, because we're made in his image, he shares them with us. What are some of God's attributes he shares with us? Kathy? Yes. Yes, I was just going to think of one of them. But right, you've named a, a whole list of them, isn't it? You, you, you like, you hit the jackpot.
1: Well,
0: yeah. I
1: the next
0: Michael, yes, yes, you're on your way by God's grace he gives that to you and works it in you right okay so love, joy, peace, patience right self-control yes uh-huh one of the ways that we're talked about in Scripture that we're made like God is that, in His image, as He shares with us, His knowledge, righteousness, and holiness. And so, part of that knowledge is wisdom. Yeah. Any other with communicable attributes? Yeah. We don't. I struggle with. I don't really get it. Yeah. And 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 because it's communicable, we. Are to have justice, All right? So our decisions are supposed to be righteous and just, also. Yeah. Okay. Well, we're going to look now this morning. I think I think this morning could challenge you in whole new ways, and it's it's not going to be easy. What you're going to hear this morning, um, it's not going to be what you're used to. But I I think if you get it. It will help us in all of this gospelizing we're doing, we're supposed to do, that the gospel is supposed to flow from us, that the gospel is to be a part of who we are being God's children. So, last week we talked about two great exchanges. The first one being a very bad deal, an exchange that everybody in the world makes, the Second exchange being a very good deal, an exchange that some people in the world make. But as we looked last week at the first great exchange, we understand that generally, but I want to really talk specifically about what this first great exchange is. Let's look at Romans chapter 1, because we need to see something there. If you know Marg and I, we like to make deals. I like to go to garage sales in Mexico, and she just likes coupons. She uh, she got me at a two-for-one sale, and and, uh, so uh, uh, we uh, are going to look at Romans chapter 1. Now, this is the exchange, the deal that every person in the world makes. Um, And it's not a good one, but it's one that every person makes. Romans 1, verses 18 to 23. and the things that he that had been made. So they were without excuse, for although they knew God, they didn't honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Every person comes into this world having made the first great exchange, loving ourselves or loving God's creation rather than loving Him. That's what sinners do. And what do they get in exchange for that from God? What will happen? His wrath. And that is one of the communicable attributes that we are to have wrath... Also, we should hate sin. We should hate when injustice is done. So, wrath should be ours. But I'm not going to be talking about even how we as Christians demonstrate our wrath because we don't do it very good. (laughs) But I want you to really understand God's wrath because I don't think, I think we know this, but we don't understand it and we don't think about it because it's so bad we just know it's there but because we don't understand it it doesn't cause us to gospelize very much it doesn't help us rejoice in exchange that God has made with us with Christ and reconciling to us I'm going to talk about the wrath of God biblically today the best and clearest that I can so that it would might move us for our neighbors it's hard for us to be moved today I think we hear of so much tragedy in the world, I mean it used to be you'd kind of hear about something happening here and there, but you just open the paper or the television and you know it used to be that, that once every couple of weeks, the news would break in. You know, some kind of horrendous thing happened. That happens every 10 minutes on Fox. News update. You know. And it's, and it's some new kind of thing. either stock market falls or, you know, they're not always so bad because they have to keep a news cycle going. But it's all this stuff going on. But But we don't really think about God's wrath. And I want you to think about that today because all, every single person, because they've made this great exchange of not worshiping him until they come to him, is under his wrath. And we don't think about what that actually means. I think all of us would probably understand that God's wrath is coming at the second coming against those who don't believe. So let's just look at that for a second. Then we're going to get very specific. Not that we're going to rejoice in this. We should rejoice because God is just. But we're looking at this that God might move us. Because when I went to Uganda, I've been moved ever since then about orphans and wanting to go back and help the people in Uganda because of difficulties there under. But this difficulties they're under that move me is nothing compared to the difficulties that all of our neighbors and co-workers and family out of Christ are in. And this we need to see clearly. We need to understand what God is saying. We tend to pass this over. So first of all, you know that God's wrath is coming at the second coming against all believers. Let's look there first. In Revelation chapter 19 verses 9 to 16 all of Revelation 19 speaks of this but we're going to look particularly here and the one who is coming with judgment and wrath is surprising to us maybe we think of God's wrath but he's sending someone particular um, special someone who's his special envoy of wrath the one who goes in his name to bring his wrath and judgment upon unrepentant sinners Revelation chapter 19, starting in verse 9. Then I saw the heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the word of God. And the armies of heaven are in fine linen, white and pure, and following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword which will strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So the one who is coming to judge the nations—it's Psalm two, that Psalm about God coming to judge the nations. Where it uses that whole thing of a rod of iron, where God is coming to judge unrepentant people and the nations. He is sending the Lord Jesus Christ, who is now victorious, raised, is coming to bring that judgment. That should be scary enough. We don't really think about this, and and I could spend the rest of our time together just looking at this passage but I want to go even further because I want our hearts to be moved because we don't think of the judgment of God and what it means because it's so horrendous it's like most of us you know um... What was the movie about Dachau, Dachau and all that kind of stuff? Uh, Schindler's List. Right? Schindler's List is not a movie, if you saw it, that you pick up regularly and watch. You know, it's too hard. Right? It's probably not on your old ten, top ten. You know, to, to conceive of that that was going on is, is hard. hard. But And that was wrong, but God and his justice is hard for us to conceive and think about because we know friends and relatives who have already um, died and as far as we know are under this judgment. And to really think about this is hard. But I want you to think about how specific God is being in his wrath and judgment and that's why we need to be moved for our neighbors and... and I'm not. Partly because I don't think in depth about it, but partly just because I'm busy and, and like doing more fun things. And, and I'm not saying this just to overwhelm us and cause us to go, out here, you know, there are other parts of life. But we have to understand the seriousness of this and how God has sent the victorious Lord Jesus Christ to be his agent of wrath. And even more than we would think. I want you to look with me. Um, I just want you to listen first to the Westminster Confession and, and the Larger Catechism. Um, so I guess we have that question eighty-nine. I think it is in the back. If you have a hymnal, um, I think it's. In, in, I think we do have the Larger Catechism also. Was it the shorter, not the larger? Oh, you don't, you don't have it, so yeah, I'll just have to read it. I'm sorry. It's good to get a hymnal anyhow, but I, it's a shorter catechism. I thought we had the larger catechism. But I, but I want you to think about hell the way God describes it because the world wants to speak of hell in two ways. The world wants to speak, and there's actually some churches that speak of hell. This is annihilationism. That when you die, you're just annihilated. That's all there is. That's all there is. There ain't no more. Right? And some people like that. Okay, yeah, I had a life here, and that's all there is. That's fine. I'm safe and sound. And the other way people often picture hell is away from the presence of God. Right? But what I'm going to show you today, that hell is not away from the presence of God. And in fact, the presence of God is there so perfectly that His judgment will be exquisitely put on sinners for eternity. And that's why hell is such a horrible place. It's not that God isn't there, but God is there. And so I want you to, first of all, listen to the... To the confession and then follow scripture with me. Question 89 says, What shall be done to the wicked at the day of judgment? Answer, at the day of judgment the wicked shall be set on Christ's left, left hand and upon a clear and full conviction of their own consciences they shall have a fearful but just sentence of condemnation pronounced against them and thereupon shall be cast out from the favorable presence of God and the glorious fellowship with Christ, his saints and his holy angels into hell and to be punished with unspeakable torments both body and soul with the devils and his angels forever so it's not saying away from all of God's presence but away from the favorable presence of God. Here, sinners have the favorable presence of God. Every day they wake up and they see the sunshine, and they breathe the air, and they see His creation, and the rain falls upon the good and the just, and the sunshine upon the good and the just. Here, sinners have the favorable presence of God, but what I'm going to be looking at today, that we might be moved, is understanding that God is not absent from hell. And not only not God, but the Lord Jesus Christ. Turn to Revelation with me again, please. Chapter 14. Revelation chapter 14. And I understand that as we look at the Scriptures here, this might be just so radically new to you and hard to imagine. But God is wondrously loving in the Lord Jesus Christ, and that is what we have to offer to the world. But His justice and His wrath is not abated except through the Lord Jesus Christ. And as Jesus Christ is the one who saves, he is also and is always going before the Father for us in heaven before he, because he is omnipresent. He is also faithfully commissioned to bring God's wrath for eternity upon those running and having not bound bend the knee to Christ. Revelation 14 verses 9 and 10. And another angel, a third, followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and his images and receives a mark on his forehead or in his hand, he will also drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. Who is the Lamb that taketh away the sin of the world? The Lord Jesus Christ. Because God is omnipresent, there is no place that He is not. And the Lord Jesus Christ, not only wonderfully for those in Christ, goes before the Father continually before us, pleading our cause, but He also is the one who is orchestrating God's judgment on those who refuse to bow before Him forever and ever. It is noteworthy that the Lamb, Jesus Christ, is mentioned as present in hell because that speaks of the deity of Christ and identifies Jesus Christ as God who is present in hell. It seems an irony because most people who are non-believers can, can tolerate the mention of God, but those same people cringe at the mention of Jesus Christ. Those same people, we are told, will be punished in the presence of Jesus Christ, being forced to submit to Jesus Christ, whose very name is detestable to them. The horrible fact is in hell to show that God is in hell to show his wrath. He is not there to bless, rather, he is present there to punish. It is God who makes the fire that is not quenched and the worm that does not die. Let me read to you from some theologians that you know. Uh, J.I. Packer says this, The concept of hell is of a negative relationship with God, an experience not of his absence, so much as his presence in wrath and displeasure. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 12 that we'll see in the word of God again. Understand, beloved, we, we look at this not in any sense to rejoice and say, ah, oh, we're not there those terrible sinners but God, because He is just and perfect can say that absolutely He doesn't cringe at this because it's right Hebrews 12, verses 28 and 29. Therefore, let us be grateful receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. And uh, the consuming fire will be going on forever in hell. His righteous condemnation for those who defy Him, And cling to sin he loathes. The concept, um, R.C. Sproul says this that might be helpful. A breath of relief is usually heard when someone declares hell is a symbol for separation from God. To be separated from God for eternity is no great threat to the impenitent person. The ungodly want nothing more than to be separated from God. Their problem in hell will not be a separation from God. It will be the presence of God that will torment them. In hell, God will be present in the fullness of his divine wrath. He will be there to exercise his just punishment of the damned. And they will know him as the all-consuming fire. Oh, my. Have you ever thought of that before? Is this new to you? It is to me, and it's sober. I mean it it is when I first read this. <laughs> Let's we need to um, and understand there is no sense that we bring this up as ah, those non Christians. But to move us to the reality of what is happening uh, even now in part because our souls go to heaven and hell right away with our bodies to be gone later uh, at the resurrection and uh, and uh, and so it needs to, we need to be sobered we we live without we live our life un, not understanding the spiritual battle that's going on in a very nice place you know, New England is so nice. It's seasons, unless you don't like to shovel snow. I understand that, but I really enjoy the seasons, and I kind of like getting out there with my snowblower. You know, I get tired after a while, but I like. Brr, I'm a man, you know. Brr. And I look, and it's pretty, and the trees, and the, and the old architecture, and the houses, except when you have to figure... But anyhow, you know, it's got all that stuff. We, we, you know, we live here, and we forget about this battle of souls that's going on all around us. And, and we live for more entertainment. And and, and none of those things are gifts from God but we're so lulled into understanding that this is what's really going on. This is the battle that's going on all the time that God has called us into His army to be a part of. That's why our hearts have to be broken. And if if our hearts aren't broken, we understand that. We really will not. And we don't understand the joy of our salvation. We We really will not be moved to be serious about proclaiming the truth. To our co-workers and friends. Psalm 115, excuse me, 11. Psalm 11, verses 5 and 6. Psalm 11, verses 5 and 6. The Lord tests the righteous, but his souls hate the wicked and the one who loves violence. Violence. Let him rain coals in the wicked. Fire and sulfur and a scorching wind shall be the portion of their cup. Who does that? It's the Lord. He continues to do that. He doesn't have the devil. The devil isn't down there poking people. The devil's being poked and, and scorched and, and, you know, uh, and, and his angels, right? The devil isn't the king of hell, but they would just have a wonderful party down there. Yeah, we're away from God, right? Psalm 11, verses 5 and 6. Well, tell me, talk to me for a while. Mark.
1: You know thinking about this kind of thing because I very some it was the other day because it wasn't anything new such a picture that the England was like the second most the religious place in the country and uh, I think that's what yes, <laughs> it was and then the other I think it was the second but it was right up there but anyway I picked up the concept and often I don't read it but I started to read it I it just made me so angry, actually. You know. There are just some of the ways of thinking, and I find myself I disengage myself. Um, I mean, I walk through Concord every day. I do an hour walk, and I pray for it. But in a lot of ways, I disengage. And it's just like I read this stuff in the future, and I just feel I don't feel a kinship or a part. It's like different things. think so over you it's just. So it's totally different. And so I guess what I'm getting at is when really do believe that those are here, this, we're here this, we all do, we have to have a mindset that we are on a mission And uh, any place we've ever lived, I feel that as a If we were sent as missionaries to Africa, we would know that was what we were here for. We would be praying to that we would be engaged in the battle. That because we're in a state, we don't think of that. Mm-hmm. that because we still have the life of and the entertainment and the pleasure, we don't think that we are here, and now it just means i the here, I mean, all of us, but we are on a mission field. We are not making us clear in the past, mm-hmm. And we still so are scared to dead. Okay? Mm-hmm.
0: What about the rest of you? Is this new and I mean, we all know generically God's wrath upon sinners, right? But have you thought about the specifics of it and the depth of it and the truth of it and uh,
1: mm-hmm. Mike. I think the ungodly, wicked, of God, they take these current blessings to God. And that right? I think as Christians, we, as well, a it in the same way um you know, focus and think about these things while uh, for myself I, I think it's I, I'm not involved because I'm living in God's period of grace, and I have you know, many blessings given me and and yet uh, I, I don't think about it goes with the so, we right, this is uh, something, maybe not new, but something that, I not I think I can so much that I can not look at people without the Lord. That they don't have the I and I all the things that he does in, letter, you know, in this world and that they don't have that and I see you know, when, you know, something happens in their lives and they don't know what to come I think to think about the light of actor in a truly significant way those two things I think. If you think about um, what God has given us and what they are headed for, then the other side of the room, I think I could see that's that's, like amazing. You know, I think, well, I've, you know, I've saved out of the life that I would have had before, or, you know, God chose me and all those kinds of things and everything. I think of my life without him would have been surprised, you know, would have been this and that and I wouldn't have had the word in this life. But to then imagine yourself that you are really deserving of God's wrath and you should be there having these those things happen to you and you from it. Like you know, the thing is from Well, that, that's maybe on a personal note, mm-hmm. but also that thinking about how they, if we put our perspective on not just this, like what we do and, and how we act very And I think in times past, People died so much younger. People died suddenly. Death was around them all the time. Indians were dying. All kinds of people, you know, children. People were dying all the time. That they were living their lives thinking about
0: what was going to be next. Whereas we don't. Yeah, we are sojourners here and we don't think about that. We're going to be all facing this. Except, I couldn't believe this year is my 40th anniversary from my high school reunion. It's like I remember when I was in high school, or college, and I heard of people having 40 and 50 year reunions. I thought, Those guys, they're probably just going to die tomorrow. <laughs> you know, they're probably there not being able to move. You know, and what, what are they going to do at that reunion? You know, I didn't go to my reunion, but I could have moved if I was there. Right? But um, I just heard a statistic yesterday that like as far back as 1900, the, and when people stayed married, the average marriage was 28 years. Because they died earlier. It was not because, you know, they were getting divorced, it was because one of the one of the spouses usually died. And so, you know, the longer we live, that puts more of you know, this that we're not transitory and we put it off and we have health and all the rest. Yeah.
2: Done? Summertime, in New York, can't the Kennedy of the Church as a, one of their doctrinal distinctives. that they don't emphasize what is there is that they believe in permanent extinction of being for the loss. And, you um, don't agree with that uh, for, for all the reasons we've talked about today, um, but on the base level, it, that's too easy. Permanent extinction of be, being is too easy. I mean, that's, that, if, if, if you're, if you're, annihilate it, then you don't know you're an athlete. And that's that. The bigger thing that this brings up, though, is the complication that this thought brings to evangelism. Because it flies so completely in the face of how much of Christianity has represented Christ, that being gentle Jesus, meek, and mild, And you know, whether one is an iconoclast or not, the image of, uh, of Christ in the Sistine Chapel on Michelangelo's Great Wall, of sitting in judgment of the lost, and the visual depiction of the law and the damned in agony. And a lot of people look at that image and say, well, that's so terrible. Why would you put an image like that in a church? because it's a reminder, as Pat was saying, of, of what awaits, regardless of what built by the image. And so, we hear confronting people who are in churches all over New England that do not confess the Christ we know, but, but acknowledge Christ as a prophet, A wise man, a gentle person, a community organizer, a person who cared about the weak and the downtrodden and the widows, and all those nice, very admirable characteristics of Christ, but have completely eliminated the fact that Christ is an agent of God's wrath. And so therefore, in a sense, it complicates things for us, because not only are we trying to give people truth, but this truth... Goes absolutely against what many of those people hope to evangelize. What they actually have been told and believed. and so we can come across as being mean spirited and vengeful against them when their whole life, in their Unitarian and other churches, they've been told about gentle Jesus, and that's the only side of Jesus that they've seen. If they haven't seen him his hand outstretched, executing them
0: and one of the things certainly we have to be careful of is that we don 't go to the other extreme walk around big signs repent or die or you know go to hell you know, kind of the way they used to depict Christians in the 1950s right you know is uh, and, and you know the first time we see someone get the biggest blackest Bible we can do and hit them over the head and tell them they 're going to hell if they don 't bow before Jesus but that 's absolutely true. But we we tend to we tend to think of evangelism today as a sales pitch, and so we want to bring out all the good items, the good bullets that you were just talking about. Jesus says bullet, 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 bullet. and the small print, you know is very, very small, and we never get to it you know in and, uh, and, and, and that way, Mike. Absolutely. And and what what did he ask? that would pass... He didn't say the cross. He meant the cross, but it was the cup of God's wrath poured out on sinners. That's why He was so terrified. Because He was going to experience that for us. He knows personally. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Mark?
1: The other way I have trouble thinking about this, and I've known for my good time, as a reformed believer, I have a hard time having that motivation to be doing it. And I struggle with this because when I first came to Christ, it was really extremely meaningful. And so my attitude was just, yes, you know, help. And I'm going to be out and say to my neighbors, well, I understand I can't do it. And if I think about this too much, you open my parents and I, I can almost not bear to really think about that in my life, you know, I just you know, But it is helpful for me to understand that it's not in my power to but Then that kind of puts me kind of in the middle. Like I want to be motivated by it. Because as well as the crusade, I still have to remember that uh, as the advocate I might be, in my am not getting enough out. I still have the power to do it. So you don't have the power to do anything. You
0: don't have the power to do anything, Mark. On everything, could that You, 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 you he, as we end, <laughs> you, I trust you'll be motivated because you are the means that God uses. Not the means that I'm calling we all are. He, we are the means that He uses. He uses the foolishness of the preaching of the gospel, because He could act, act, write the gospel in everybody's hearts and not ever need anyone to preach. He could have come down and be worldwide cast on television, you know, and all kinds of things. But He chose the foolishness of using broken cups, uh, earthenware, to show forth His glory. Victor. They have less to be responsible for. Yeah, because yeah, of of having God's goodness and mercy and not responding to it.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Long
1: mm-hmm.
0: okay. Did you have your hand raised, Mike? Mike. All right. We are. Anybody? Other comments before we move on? All right, we're going to look at another scripture that talks about um, the reality of uh, judgment and God being there doing the judging and uh, um, eternally, uh, perfectly showing forth his justice in the book of Amos chapter 9. Amos chapter 9, verse 1. And as we look at prophets, it has uh, pictures of God's judgment as he used the prophets to bring judgments to the nations through other nations. But prophecy also look forward to the future of what would happen. So that's the way we're looking at that speaking of Amos today. Amos chapter 9 verses 1 through 4. Amos says, I saw the Lord standing beside the altar, and he said, Strike the capitals until the threshold shake and shatter them on the heads of all the people. And those who are left of them I will kill with a sword. Not one of them shall flee away. Not one of them shall escape. If they dig into Sheol, from there shall my hand take them. If they climb up to heaven, from there I will bring them down. If they hide themselves in the top of Carmel, Mount Carmel meaning, from there I will search them out and take them. If they hide from my sight at the bottom of See, there I will command the serpent, and it shall bite them. If they go into captivity before their enemies, I, there I will command the sword, and it shall kill them. And I will fix my eyes upon them for evil and not for good. Um, interesting picture. If you think of Psalm 139, is the, the, the joyfulness of God's presence with us in all places when we're His, all right? But here's the the horror. Uh, Of God's presence with us if we're not His um, for eternity. Well, all of this is not here to make us feel great. Aren't we something that we're not going to experience this? No, it's by God's amazing grace because we deserve this too, but He has chosen to change our hearts and to give us the truth and call us to be His children and to save us. But it's to move us. Of the calling he has for his with the great the second great exchange to be his ambassadors. So let's look there and be reminded again in second Corinthians chapter five. second Corinthians chapter five. Because the way these things are changed is through God using sinners like us who have been redeemed. That we are called now his agents of reconciliation. We are to take the wonderful news of the gospel as imperfectly with the foolishness of the gospel. That's what God uses to draw men and women and boys and girls to himself. 2 Corinthians five sixteen to 21. From now on therefore we regard no one according to the flesh. And entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through the conquered journal. Oh, no. Television. No. What's he using? He's using... Earthenware vessels to show forth His glory of God. God making His appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled for God. For our sake, He made Him Christ. For our sake, God made Him Christ. To be sin who knew no sin. What did He do? He took the cup of God's wrath. Right. That's the cup that Jesus said, if we could let this pass... He took the cup of God's wrath. He took him who knew no sin to become sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We're not going to... You know, we can come and pass out our little ambassador pins, you know, after the service. Hey, you got a little ambassador pin. I'm an ambassador for Jesus. About won't really matter unless you understand what it's for and understand what will happen the promised happening and that you have been brought into this calling for a much bigger purpose than so that you'll have a better life now had Jesus and you know you can have peace now in the midst of circumstances yeah that's true but ultimately we're talking about life forever eternal life everyone has eternal life it's just where you're going to have it and what's going to be happening? Any questions or comments before we end? Yeah?
1: I don't think we can appreciate the blessing unless we add the hardship. I think that's probably the biggest problem in the United States right now. Concerts, people, they don't need God, so they have enough income, enough food and clothing. So they kind of appreciate the other living in China, there's persecution, or other places in They don't hide shit. And their Christianity is growing and spreading fast. So maybe we should pray behind you for the United States.
0: I think we should pray for God's will for the United States, and if that includes hardship, not pray against it. You know, and and absolutely, absolutely say that God bring us exactly what we need. You know,
1: often,
0: yeah. Mike
1: incredible yeah, yeah.
0: As Bill was saying, what the blessings, if we don't look at them properly, bring to us, and what it does to us, I have to work through. And, and probably in the last six months, I've been working through my own life, how prayerless I am, how I live my life independent. I never live it independently of God, right? And never can. But because I have blessings, I have things... I do a job that I've done for a long time. I can do it without God. I mean, no, absolutely I can't. But I can be prayerless. And when I'm prayerless, I'm living independently. No, I can't actually. You never can live independently because of got. But you know what I'm saying. Uh, you live and, you, and, and, and so, you know, my preaching, you know, I know how to give a sermon and do all that. And I, can, and I can give it just in my own strength rather than saying, Oh, God. If you don't give this unction, if you don't keep people awake, if you don't bring the truth to their hearts, it'll never get there. No one will be ever changed. No one will ever understand and see the glories of Christ. Right? And so one of the difficulties I have is I not only live independent of thinking of God's judgment, I can, as a Christian in America, live with an independent heart. Sandy? I think that...
1: uh... Uh, so I was supposed to, to I and mean, human, view, so so reconciling, um, you know, if you want to be the you uh, <coughs> know, It is a, a comfort, you know, it is in a way of the world, you, know, who, you know, who would say uh, we should not get discouraged um, in yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: And Lord willing, you perfect entrance into next week. That's what we're going to be talking about. So, where you go, Sandy. Uh, we are out of time, and so uh, I'm going to close us with a prayer. Father, we thank you for sobering us and showing us the truth, and yet the glorious truth of Christ our Savior. May we love him more. And because of that and the joy of our salvation, would you cause us to see this world uh, differently than when we do? Remember that we're sojourners. And would you give us new uh, eyes for our neighbors and uh, and what you've actually called us to? Thank you for calling us this wondrous task of being a Christ ambassador. May may we do it um, soberly and yet joyfully because of his amazing love and grace through Christ our Savior. Amen.